1 is from uh, the first chapter of the book of Revelation, verses 9 to 20. And then the second is just over the page in chapter, chapter 3. So that's page, starting off on page 1233 and then um, turning over actually to page 1236. So Revelation 1, verses 9 to 20, first of all. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and look... I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And now turning over to page 1236, starting to read at verse 14 to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, and welcome. My name is Jonathan Gregory. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the pastors here. It's lovely uh, to see you for us. This is a one-off. Um, we've got the 20th anniversary celebration of City Church starting next week. And then so today we're just having a one-off looking at Revelation uh, chapter 3. And what would Jesus say uh, to City Church Birmingham? I'm going to pray for us. So let's pray together uh, as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that as Christians we do not see our spiritual situation with the same clear-sighted 2020 vision that you see our spiritual situation. We are often blind to our sins as Christians, blind to our faults. Father, as we read your word this morning, would you do eye surgery on us so that we see our spiritual situation through your eyes? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just picture a scene. Uh, It's a a month or two later. It's a cold, dark, wet and windy November Sunday morning. And uh, the city church is gathered together for the morning service here at the Octagon. And the double doors are shut. You know, you don't want to have any draft and any cold coming through the, the, the doors on this winter's day. And there are people sitting on both banks of the seating, and we're ready um, to hear from God's word. We've sung songs in praise of the Lord Jesus. We've heard the children's talk together. Uh, the Bible's been read, and then one of the pastors of City Church says, Gossip, and he's about to open his mouth to preach, when to everyone's surprise, there's a knock at the, at the double doors. And one of the welcome team go and open the double doors, and to everyone's shock... In walks the Lord Jesus. And, you know, we're all a bit open-mouthed. It's like, what do we do now? You know, it's all gone out the window. Some of us sit up a little bit more straighter in our seats. The preacher's obviously a little bit flustered and thinks, okay, well, I think I need to move aside. It's great to have you here, Lord Jesus, they would say. Why don't you come and preach instead of me? And so the preacher sits down and the Lord Jesus walks to the mic uh, to, um, to, to begin to preach. And everyone is silent. You can hear a pin drop. The PA team is frantically making sure this, this sermon of all sermons is recorded for posterity. Everyone's leaning forward in, in expectation. And the Lord Jesus is about to say something to City Church and everyone, and I really do mean everyone, wants to hear him. So what would Jesus say to City Church Birmingham? Well, we're in a part of the Bible which records the words of the Lord Jesus to seven different churches in Asia Minor, which is what we would have known today as modern-day Turkey. And today we're looking at the seventh and final letter to, uh, that, to a church in Laodicea in the, in the first century AD. 
Well, you know, I don't need to tell you that we're not members of City Church Laodicea in the mid-90s AD. We, we might think it's a bit of a stretch to think, well, actually, uh, what Jesus says to them, he says to us. But it's not a stretch. It's not a stretch because uh, these seven letters written in Revelation 2 and 3 are letters for all local churches everywhere down through the ages. They're letters for all local churches everywhere down from the ages, whether that's Birmingham, uh, Baghdad, London, Paris, wherever. And I don't, uh, I don't know, why do I say that? Well, it's because Jesus only speaks to seven churches. He only speaks to seven. And there were, uh, there were more than seven churches in Asia Minor at that time. And I don't need to tell an intelligent bunch of people like you that the city of Iconium was in Asia Minor. Uh, Acts 14 says there's a church there. So if you're a Christian in Iconium, uh, you're going to be pretty disappointed the Lord Jesus didn't actually send uh, a letter to you, wouldn't you? It's like, well, you know, Laodicea got one, Pergamum got one. What about us? We're in Asia Minor. Come on, Lord Jesus. You're, you, know, you have eternal life. Surely you've got time to spare to speak to an eighth church. Well, well there's a deeper meaning behind there being just seven churches. Seven churches in the book of Revelation was symbolic. The number seven was symbolic of completeness. So when Jesus speaks to seven churches, it's symbolically saying it's representing every church everywhere, including City Church Birmingham at, in 20 centuries later. And as the Lord Jesus spoke to Laodicea, he speaks to us and he spoke to the church in Iconium as well. And so as we read what Jesus said to Laodiceans, we're actually hearing what Jesus is saying to City Church today. It's almost as if the Lord Jesus has walked in, and as the Bible has been read, that's him speaking to us. So first, the the identity of the doctor, verse 14. The identity of the doctor. And the Lord Jesus, who is this doctor, begins his letter to the Laodicean church by reminding the readers of his identity, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write... These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And the Lord Jesus reminds the Laodicean Christians that he is God's faithful and true witness. What the Lord Jesus says can be trusted. He is faithful and he is true. Not only that, he's also the ruler of God's creation. He is the one who sustains the universe, who made the sun go up this morning and will make the sun go down this evening. And the Laodiceans, the church in Laodicea, utterly depend on him. And that is something that they needed to hear completely, that he was the ruler of creation and they depended on him. Not only that, but the Lord Jesus uh, is the ruler of overall creation and City Church Birmingham exists because he says so. You're still a Christian this morning because the Lord Jesus sustains you in the faith overnight. So as we listen to the words of the Lord Jesus, maybe sometimes quite direct words, quite blunt words from the Lord Jesus, we need to remember that he is the faithful and true witness. He can be trusted. And he is the sustainer and the ruler of the universe. So second, the doctor's diagnosis. And it's important that the Lord Jesus reminds Laodiceans that he's God's true and faithful witness because of what he says next. As the Lord Jesus looks at the Laodicean church, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? He says, you make me sick. That's basically what he says in verse 15 and 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And those are strong words, aren't they, from the Lord Jesus? Very strong words to a church of Christians who are following him in Asia Minor. And what Jesus was doing, he was using picture language that the people living in the city of Laodicea would have really understood. Because um, unless you're an ancient historian, you won't know, but the city's uh, water supply was undrinkable. The water contained calcium carbonate, whatever that is. I'm not a scientist, just a historian. And that caused whoever drank the water to vomit, allegedly. Um, If you're a scientist or a doctor, you can tell me why why that is the case. So the Laodiceans built aqueducts and stone pipes to bring drinkable water into the city from the nearby cities of Hierapolis and Colossae. And the city of Hierapolis, the north of of, um, Laodicea, was famous for its natural hot springs, which had medicinal properties. If you drank it, it it was helpful for your health. But by the time it reached Laodicea, it had cooled down and was lukewarm. And the city of Colossae to the east was famous for its cold and pure water. But by the time it reached Laodicea in those stone pipes, it had warmed up and was lukewarm. And so the Laodiceans would have known all too well how awful their lukewarm water actually tasted. And if they had a choice, they would have spat the water out too. I don't know whether you've ever had that situation of uh, someone's made you a cup of tea and you go and you take it and it's like, oh, it's, it's lukewarm. You know, you almost want to spit it out, but actually you don't because you know, you're nice and polite. So you sort of drink it and then pour it into the flower pots. Um, lukewarm water is horrible. It's not, you know, you can't really have a nice drink with it. You can't really bathe in it. it you know, it's just not great. And some Christians have read these verses and they think that what Jesus is talking about is the Laodicean spiritual temperature. In other words, they think that the Lord Jesus is saying, well, you're not spiritually hot. You know, you're not spiritually on fire for Jesus. You're not spiritually cold. You're just spiritually lukewarm. But I don't think that Jesus is talking about the spiritual temperature of the church in Laodicea. Rather, Jesus is talking about the spiritual usefulness of the church in Laodicea. You see, the hot water, when it was in Hierapolis, was useful. It was said to have healing properties for the sick. It, you, could, you could bathe in it. You could have a hot drink with it. But the lukewarm Laodiceans were spiritually useless. Because they were lukewarm, they didn't provide healing for the spiritually sick. And the cold water in Colossae was useful. It's not as though Jesus is saying, uh, you're hot and that's a good thing, or you're not cold and that's a bad thing. Actually, both being hot or cold is good because both hot and cold are useful. You know, the cold water in Colossae was useful. It was refreshing. You could drink it. But yet the lukewarm Laodiceans were spiritually useless because they didn't provide refreshments, uh, uh, refreshment, pure spiritual water for the spiritual weary and so if you were a hurting christian spiritually then you're and if you went to the laodicean church it wouldn't make much of a difference if you were a hurting christian you would not receive spiritual healing or refreshment from that church because it was lukewarm it was useless but the lord jesus cares for the spiritually hurting and aren't we glad that he does aren't we glad that he cares for those who spiritually hurt And there are many people in this congregation who are spiritually hurting. And the Lord Jesus loves you and he cares for you. 
And he designed a local church to bring uh, people who are spiritually hurting refreshments and also healing. And he cares about those who are spiritually hurting so much that he's willing to sternly rebuke a useless, lukewarm church like Laodicea. And if we are people who care for spiritually hurting people, if we are people who are spiritually hurting, then we are glad that the Lord Jesus does. These words might seem harsh, might seem blunt, but they're born out of love for the weak and those who are spiritually hurting. And this spiritually useless church in Laodicea makes the Lord Jesus sick. But what was the cause of this spiritually useless Laodicean church? Well, have a look at verse 17. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And once again, knowing a little bit about Laodicea, it might be really helpful for us here. Laodicea was an incredibly wealthy city. It possessed a prosperous financial sector. So Laodicea was so wealthy that when the city got destroyed in an earthquake in AD 60, uh, Rome came along and said, oh, we'll pay for it. And Laodicea said, no, actually, we'll rebuild ourselves. That's crazy wealth, isn't it? To rebuild a city and say to the empire, no, we don't want you to do it. We'll do it ourselves. Laodicea was an important medical centre, so Laodiceans had developed an ointment that could successfully treat some eye diseases. And Laodicea was a centre of fashion. If it existed today, it would be mentioned in the same breath as Paris and New York and Milan. The sheep around Laodicea produced this high-quality black wool, which allowed the Laodiceans to produce really sought-after clothes, high fashion And so the people of Laodicea were wealthy, they were fashionable, and they were healthy. And this affluence led the city to self-sufficiency. If they had a problem, they could just throw money at it, just like the earthquake destroyed the city. No, we don't want your help, Emperor Nero. We'll just sort it ourselves. We'll throw the money at it and rebuild ourselves. You know what? The Christians in Laodicea were not immune from this self-sufficiency. The affluence culture of the city had slowly and subtly molded the Christians in Laodicea. And what happened is they lived as if they were spiritually self-sufficient from their heavenly father. They were still saying, I follow Jesus. They're still coming to church every week. Uh, but they were saying, actually, in, the, in the, how, they, how they lived, they were molded into the culture of Laodicea and they were self-sufficient. And that root of of this spiritual self-sufficiency was their affluence. Verse 17, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. You hear that? You hear the self-sufficiency in those words that Jesus is saying, they're saying? And as far as we can tell, the Laodiceans were not facing any persecution. The the other letters, in those seven letters to the churches, there's lots of persecution. There's no mention of of persecution here. There were comfortable Christians living in a wealthy city. But do you know what? Laodicea was a spiritually dangerous place for a Christian to belong to because the culture of the city was one of wealth and self-sufficiency and it molded the Laodiceans, maybe unseenly, maybe they didn't realize, but they'd molded it, the Laodiceans, the Christians, into sinful self-sufficiency. That's why this church was useless. In fact, the three strengths of the city of Laodicea, the wealth, the eye medicine, and the fashion, actually led to the three spiritual weaknesses. Did you see that? They were spiritually poor, they were blind, and they were naked. 
That's interesting, isn't it? The three strengths of the city actually led to three spiritual weaknesses in the church. And as Christians, perhaps we need to realize that the strengths and the culture of the city of Birmingham we live in has the power to produce in us uh, deep spiritual weaknesses. We go into Birmingham each day, and unseenly, the, the culture of Birmingham shapes us. And sometimes that's good, but many times, like Laodicea, that is spiritually harmful as well. And so in many ways, the city of Birmingham is like the city of Laodicea. We're an affluent city. We've got a thriving financial sector. You just have to walk down to Brindley Place to see that. We too are a centre for medicine, so the Queen Elizabeth Hospital dominates the Selyuk skyline. Added to this, we have a medical school attached to Birmingham and Aston Universities. We too are a city for fashion. As you walk through the Bullring, you see all the high-end shops in in the Bullring shopping centre. You come to Birmingham to shop and to get all, all the designer goods. And City Church Birmingham is quite like Laodicea in some ways, because we too are an affluent church, because we meet on a Sunday in a, in a private girls' school right next to Botanic Gardens in a nice area of town. There are times when I park at church in the morning and I have to avoid running over a peacock that has escaped from the Botanic Gardens. You know, we are a wealthy part of town. We are a wealthy congregation. We too, as well as that, like the Laodiceans, we are not experiencing a huge amount of persecution. We do not suffer for being Christians come to City Church Birmingham. There were two churches that I used to belong to. One Sunday on one church, there was a picket outside and TV cameras because of the stance the church had made. And another church that I I belonged to, uh, someone had graffitied um, fairly uh, explicit images on the side of the building. That's the sort of uh, persecution that can come to a church in the UK. But we are not persecuted And the danger for us is that as a church, we too can fall into the trap of the Laodiceans. We too can become spiritually self-sufficient. And the the source of that self-sufficiency is our wealth and our affluence. In fact, our church situation in the city we live in makes the risk of spiritual self-sufficiency higher for us because of where we are. Perhaps the letter to Laodicea might not be as punchy if it was delivered to um, a church in Baghdad where you know, perhaps they're not as rich as us. You know, when, the, when the earthquakes of life hit us, it's very Laodicean to refuse the help of our Heavenly Father through uh, prayerlessness and throw our personal resources at the problem to fix it. And I think that's probably one of the signs, one of the biggest signs, that a church has become spiritually self-sufficient. It's a lack of prayer. Because if you believe that you are self-sufficient, why do you need to pray to your Heavenly Father and ask him for things? Well, yeah, we've got, yeah, we've got the staff to do it, do it. We've got the money to do it. Why, why pray? And so I guess the question is to see whether you know, we have fallen into the trap or we're in danger of falling into the trap of being a self-sufficient church. So ask the question, are we a prayerless church? Are we a prayerless church? Whether that's a prayerless church in terms of you know, corporately or a prayerless church in, in terms of individually. So is prayer to our Heavenly Father a vital component of our corporate time together? Whoever's leading prayer, sorry, I should have warned you, but uh, here we go. So if someone leads us in prayer, do their prayers demonstrate a dependence 
on our Heavenly Father? Do we, as, as people in the congregation, do we fight to concentrate, to listen to that person as they lead us in prayer as a church? Or do we just switch off? Do we think about Sunday lunch? Do we think about the football match that's going on? Do we think about the Rugby World Cup? How do we view our monthly central prayer meetings? Is that, I mean, if you're a member here, have you ever been to a monthly central prayer meeting? If you have, when was the last time you went to a monthly central prayer meeting? Do we see them as a week off for us in the small group program? Oh, great, I've got a week off. We're not, we're not meeting in home groups in 20s and 30s, so, I, you know, we don't have, you know, I can go to the prayer meeting, but maybe I won't. Yeah, the next one is on uh, the 14th of November. Uh, what's your attitude to that? Is that a case of, oh, I need to go there. There are people who do not trust in the Lord Jesus. I need to ask my Heavenly Father that they're saved. Or do you say, well, actually, it's a week off. I don't really need to go. In our small groups, whether that's student plus or mum's group or home group or 20s and 30s, are the prayer times in our small groups integral to them? Are they, or are they just sort of bolted on at the end? Because that's what we do. And, you know, that's what we feel we should do. You know, we're Christians, we probably should pray at the end. As individual Christians, we're thinking corporately, let's think individually. Are we Christians who are praying each day, recognizing our need, thinking, I can't get through this day without praying to, to my Heavenly Father for strength and help? Are we uh, praying at the beginning of the day? Are we praying at the end of the day? And when a crisis hits our lives, what do we turn to first? What is the first uh, place we go to? Is it prayer? Or let's be honest, is it other things? Is it you know, someone else? Or is it uh, going to uh, withdraw money from the bank account to solve the problem? Are we neglecting to pray and seeking to solve things in our own, in our own strength. And I guess that's something that only you know, us individually can answer that. You know, these next four months, uh, from September to December, are an incredible time of business for, ch- for our church. It's an incredible time of opportunity as well, in, as we run up to Christmas. And there's so many uh, different opportunities to share the good news of the Lord Jesus. And as that uh, beckons, all, the, all those opportunities beckon... Are we going to run at it with our mental and our physical energy and our efforts? Or does that thought drive us to our knees to pray? You know, we've seen, I don't know how many children on, on, the, on the mats. Do we pray for them, whether we're, whether we're married and their parents or whether we're single? Do we pray for them if you're single? Do we pray that they become followers of the Lord Jesus? Or are we just happy for uh, people to run uh, programs for them and just leave it up, up to them? So third, uh, the treatment, verses 18 to 22. And so the Lord Jesus is diagnosed that the Laodicean church was spiritually self-sufficient. They sort of cut themselves off from the Lord Jesus. And that means they're spiritually useless because when a, someone who's hurting comes into their congregation, the only way to help someone who's spiritually hurting or spiritually weary is to point them to Jesus. But if you're self-sufficient, you don't point people to Jesus as much as, or as you should do. And these spiritually useless, lukewarm Christians made Jesus sick. Uh, but even though that they are spiritually useless, the Lord Jesus is gracious. He doesn't say, right, that's it, you've had it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, wipe out the church of Laodicea because you're, you're just useless. 
No, have a look at verse 18. He's gracious. He's still willing to help them. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you come rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Listen to verse 19. Those whom I love, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. So the words of the Lord Jesus can sound blunt. They can sound direct. They can sound a bit harsh. But they are born out of love. Love for the the church in Laodicea, but also love for those who were spiritually weary and looking for uh, um, strength and sustenance from that church. And so instead of relying on their own spiritual resources, the Lord Jesus says, Laodiceans, depend on me. You think you're wealthy. You've got no idea. Let me give you real spiritual wealth. You think that you live a righteous life, that you, you, you live a good life. Well, depend on me, my righteous life, to clothe you in spiritual righteousness. Depend on my medicine, not the medicine you get down at Laodicean uh, Hospital, to allow you to spiritually see properly. And if you're here looking to Christianity, then I guess it's easy to think that Christianity uh, is for good people, respectable people who've sorted their lives out. And sometimes Christians can fall into the trap of modelling that to someone. But the message of these verses is that true Christians are never self-sufficient. In fact, being a Christian means that you realise that you are spiritually bankrupt. Instead, being a Christian means that you cannot earn your way to God. And instead of trying to do that, what you do instead is you turn to the Lord Jesus and say, I cannot do it. I'm a sinful man. Please forgive me. Would you qualify me for heaven? Because I can't do it myself. And as we um, later on celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, eating bread and drinking wine, that's what we're saying to each other in a symbolic form. We're not good enough. But Jesus is, and he qualifies us. For heaven. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we could become acceptable to God. And at the end of verse 19, Jesus calls on the Laodiceans, the Christians in that church, to repent. In other words, to do a U-turn in their thinking. And the Laodiceans are to repent of their self-sufficiency and they are to realise they cannot do it on their own. Their wealth doesn't cut it, their, their hospitals won't cut it, and their high fashion won't cut it. And in verse 20, Jesus tells them how uh, he'll respond to any Christian who repents. Have a look at verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And although that's a picture of, of really real um, acceptance, don't miss the irony in it. Just picture the scene. Um, it's Sunday morning at the church of Laodicea and it's, the service has started and there is a loud knock at the front door of the church and they ignore it, but it continues and gets louder and louder and more persistent. And so a little annoyed, one of the church leaders just marches to the door, really annoyed, and opens it to reveal that the Lord Jesus is knocking. And he says to him, would you please stop knocking at the door and disturbing our morning service? We're trying to worship the Lord Jesus in here. <laughs> it's ironic, isn't it? In their self-sufficiency, the Laodicean church had excommunicated the Lord Jesus from their church. And he was standing on the outside, knocking on the door to come in. 
And although the picture is deeply ironic, don't miss the wonderful promise to any Christian who repents, who does a U-turn. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And Jesus will share a meal with any Christian who repents of their spiritual self-sufficiency. And the idea of sharing a meal is the idea of intimacy and belonging and acceptance and fellowship. And I wonder whether Jesus' call to repent, to U-turn of spiritual self-sufficiency as a word and season to us as a church, or maybe to individual Christians here at City Church. We are wealthy highly educated congregation and our danger is that we believe that we can do church and we can do the christian life all on our own without any help from god and if the holy spirit is convicting us of spiritual self-sufficiency then jesus says to us this morning what would jesus say to the church he would say repent and that means we need to pray to the lord jesus and be specific in confessing what how we've gone wrong And we need to ask for his forgiveness. But more than that, we need to ask that he would change us. That he would change our thinking. That he would show us how dependent we really are on him. So what would Jesus say to City Church Birmingham? Well, at the very least, he would warn us against becoming spiritually self-sufficient. He would say, that's a particular trap in the city that you live in, in the area of town that that your church is in. That's a particular trap. For you, City Church Birmingham. And perhaps he's doing more than warning us against falling into the trap of self-sufficiency. We may already be on the pathway there, either individually or corporately. And so if the Lord Jesus is rebuking us and calling us to repent, that's what we need to do. And as the Lord Jesus says in verse 22, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I'm going to pray together. Why don't you join with me? Loving Heavenly Father, we recognise that this passage is hard-hitting. But we thank you that it was born out of love of the Lord Jesus, that those whom he loves, he rebukes. So we pray that we would be earnest and repent. We thank you that he loves us. We thank you that he loves us so much that... uh, he, he, he wants to rebuke us if we could become a spiritually self-sufficient church or a spiritually self-sufficient Christian. Would your Holy Spirit search us as a church and as individual Christians and reveal if we are exhibiting signs of being spiritually self-sufficient? Help us to see how offensive it is to say to you, I don't need you, Heavenly Father, when in fact we depend on you for everything. Father, thank you for the graciousness of the Lord Jesus. We'll forgive all those who truly repent. Please grant us a swift, true and deep repentance. Would you reveal to us how much we really are dependent on you? And Father, pray that that uh, self-knowledge would drive us to become more of a praying church. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.